That's awesome. So we're reading from John 4 this morning. John 4 says, and there's a bit of context around this for you guys as well, is that Jesus and his disciples were traveling to Galilee. They were heading towards Galilee, and his disciples had popped into town to get some food, right? Jesus came to this Samaritan village called Sychar, and he found a well. And this is what happened. Soon, verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to get some Zambreros, right? The woman was surprised. That's not biblical. Can you tell? The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why, why are you asking me for a drink? Got to remember in this day and age, it was forbidden. It was actually forbidden to, to speak between a Jew and a Samaritan. Jesus replied, if, if only you knew the gift God had for you, has for you, and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Everyone say living water. Living water. Living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where, where would you get this living water? How many know it's not about what you have, but it's about what he has, right? Verse 12 says, and besides... Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life, the Holy Spirit. Please, sir, she said, the woman said, Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And then she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right, you you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And she said, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship. Whether you worship your father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said, that's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. So good. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to worship you, Father. You are incredible. We love you, Lord. So good. Amen. You may be seated. Man, so my, my message title this morning, I'm going to grab some water. We're actually, we're about to start a new series this week. It's a three-week series, which is really exciting. And the series is called Worship Is. Worship Is. And isn't it funny that we pick a morning with two worshippers on stage to start a series like this? <laughs> but it's cool. Thanks, Jesse. You killed it this morning, man. So good. So good. But yeah, the new series is called Worship Is. 
which I'm really excited about because through this we're going to explore three postures a week of worship that's going to help us in our personal worship. And I'm really excited about this. My sermon title this morning is called Worship is Living Water. Living Water. That's week one. And I'm, I'm really pumped because worship is my favorite thing to preach on. Well, clearly, I'm a worshiper. I love speaking on worship. It's my, my favorite topic of all. And I was thinking this week, isn't it, isn't it funny how like there's so many genres of music, right? There's jazz, there's pop, there's rock, there's all these sorts of genres. But when it comes to worship music, there's just worship music. Isn't that strange? Because there's so many different kinds of worship music. It could be jazz and pop and rock and all sorts of different kinds of worship music too, but it's classified everywhere as just worship music. Isn't that weird? No matter what style the music is like, it's just still labelled worship music, which is really weird. Today we tend to define the term worship as music as well. That seems to be a generalised way of thinking a lot of the time, but I think it's so important to note that worship can be many different things. It's different for everyone. And it might not just be music, it could be prayer, it could be music, it could be your work, it could be your money. Man, you could make washing the dishes your worship. Like legit, you really can do that if you want to do that. But for me, my primary form of worship personally is through music. And that's a big part of how I came to be in the church here as well. Like if you've been in this church for any amount of time, then you might have heard my story of how I came to know Jesus. But it was, it was largely through the music ministry of this church as well, of the worship team. I, um, I spoke last week and said that I grew up as a Catholic and I left that church when I was about 11 years old. It was about 2010 and I'd, I'd broken up with my, my girlfriend of about five years. I was pretty broken in probably more ways than just relationally. I was living with my best friend who was the drummer in my punk pop band. We were jamming all around the place. Um, I don't know if many of you people, of you guys would kind of remember him, David Sullivan, who was an absolute legend. He lives in Perth these days. Um, he, was, he was the drummer in our band and... Um, we were lucky enough to go and tour like over to Sydney and stuff like that together, which was really cool. But I knew of C3 is, I'd been doing a couple of things for C3 over the years, like doing the sound and lighting at like carols and a youth conference called My Gem that Sarah and Chris used to run. It was awesome. Um, and my best friend, Sully, David, started doing this church thing, which was really weird. I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of strange. And Mama Realms would remember this, this time because we were living together. And actually, I'm going to veer away from my notes for a sec because there was this one time where Mama Realms and Tim broke into our house. <laughs> they, had, they had a key, but they, they came in and they completely rearranged all our furniture. And we got home, we are like, what? What is going on here? There was all sorts of things going on. It was crazy, but so much fun at that time of our life. It was great. But um, look, he started to do this church thing. And I was like, this is weird. He's like disappearing every Sunday morning. What's going on? This is strange. Um, and then he started to play drums at church as well. He was also the drummer in our band. So I was like, okay, this is, this is different. This is cool. Um, and before long, I had, had Kev, who's our AV guy, reach out um, and ask me some advice about lighting boards and that kind of thing. And I just suddenly got all these little like, links to church. And I was like, okay, this is weird. What's going on? God's like chasing me or something. But before long, my best friend, Sully, was nagging me to come to church. He was like, you need to come to church, man. You need to come to church, man. You've got to come to church, man. It was week after week after week after week, and it was driving me crazy. It was driving me batty. Has anyone ever had that before? So your friend's nagging you, and then nagging you, and then nagging you, and eventually they're like, all right, all right, all right, okay. Eventually, it took him a while, but eventually he found a loophole, right? He found a loophole in my resistance, and he told me that the church band's bass player was, was away for a little while, and that the band had asked me to fill in. So I was like, oh, cool, all right, well, yeah, maybe. I kind of reluctantly agreed. I was like, all right, we're in a band together. I could, I could play with your church. Sure, what, why not? Okay. I figured it might not be so bad. It could be a bit of a fun chance to jam. Sure. So I came to music practice and I found Sally, who's our, our amazing kids leader, um, Livy, um, who's still on stage 
today, the Hooper kids, David and Lil's kids, who were amazing worshippers themselves, and, and um, they were, I went to school with them actually, and they were all here on stage, and I soon kind of discovered that they actually, they, it wasn't just that the bassist was, was away, but they actually didn't have a bassist. Um, I was like, hang on a sec, what's going on here? They're like, oh yeah, we don't really have a bassist. Um, Henry or Luke kind of jumps on bass sometimes when they can, but we don't, we don't really have a bassist. I was like, okay, right. And then I found out that the team had been praying for me for months. I was like, what? Wow. You, you for real? They've been praying for me to, to come along to practice and to come to church. And, and so I did, did the practice that night. It was Wednesday night. I came along and I, I kind of did that. And then I was like, all right, so what time do you want me here on Sunday? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. You, you can't play on Sunday yet. I was like, but I'm feeling, but I'm so confused. What is going on, man? Like, what is going on here? Right? They're like, you need to come for a few weeks. We just need to see where you're at. We need to see where your heart's at, all that kind of thing, before we release you on stage. I went, okay, cool, cool. I was like, all right. So, man, just for a couple of weeks, escalated very quickly. But I just decided, man, I'm just going to go with it. Why not? Why not? So I turned up on Sunday. I sat, I think I sat in the second row, kind of where Kingston and Glory, where you guys are. Kind of sat down there. And I kept coming along every week, and it was, it was weird. I, I just kept coming, and I kept enjoying it. I was like, this is, this is different, right? This is different. And it was, it, was, it was kind of funny because, like, every time I'd come, I, I was, at, my, at this point in my life, I was still a performance musician, right? I was a musician that was all about performance. I wasn't there for the worship. I was there for the performance. So for me, I was, like, sitting in the second row going, man, I could do that better. Why, why are they, whoa, that, yeah, that's all right, guitar riff, but I could do better there. Like, why are they doing that? Like, oh, it's really boring, like, you know? That, that's kind of what was going through my head, right? Because I was in a performance mode. And I was like, man, why don't they give us more of these faster songs? What's with these worship songs? They're so slow. So slow. But fast forward to 2023, right? Here at C3, our vision is to see a 1,000 worshippers by 2032. And that's really exciting because we believe that this is a vision that God has, has launched on this church. It's, it's his dream for this church. And it means that it starts with us, with you and I, right? But it's really impossible for us to live out this vision from him and for him until we've personally become worshippers, both individually and corporately together. That's, that's the important thing, because how can we have a thousand worshippers if we're not worshippers yet? So then the question begs, you know, how do we become a worshipper? How do we push into that? How, why does God want us to focus on this so much? Why is this the vision he's picked? And you might be in a place where you're like, man, I, I want to worship. I want to be in a relationship with him, but I just I don't know how. I don't know how, and that's okay. Or maybe you're freaked out at the concept worship. Maybe the, the word worship, maybe you, this is your first or second week in church. Maybe the word worship sounds scary. Maybe it's something you're like, wow, this sounds a bit dark. This sounds freaky. And it can be. I totally get that. Or maybe you're already a worshiper. Maybe you've been coming to church for years and you already consider yourself a worshiper. Then I want to challenge you today as well. But I want to lead us to a place today where no matter how long you've been in church, for how long, whether it's week two or it's year five, to a new place where you can go and worship. So it's, it's interesting because people generally think of worship in the world as being this freaky spiritual thing. It's really not. Well, it's not intended to be freaky anyway, but it is intended to be spiritual, right? Some, to some people, worship is really about modern bands and it's about synths and it's about electric guitars, but then to others, it's about hymns and a pipe organ. And that's totally cool. There's so many ways of expressing our worship that has been seen through the history of the church. But the question is, what actually is worship? 
What is worship? Well, worship biblically can be translated as this. It's to kneel or lay face down before someone in act of reverence. Biblical worship is acknowledging that God is the king and that this results in living our lives in light of that truth. Worship is beautiful. Worship is powerful. And it's even more so if we understand it from God's perspective. So over the next three weeks, I'm really excited because we're going to explore this and unpack these kind of three postures every week. As I, I believe it's going to help us to redesign and rethink the way that we worship. There's going to be nine postures in total. But first, I think we have to understand how worship is defined in the Bible. And the most common word worship is translated is, is shaka. Everyone say shaka. Shaka, according to a Hebrew and English lexicon of the Old Testament. This is Brown Driver Briggs is the author. And what he said is that worship means to bow down, to prostrate oneself, which means lying stretched out on the ground with one's face downwards before a monarch or superior in homage. Now, both of the primary words in Hebrew and Greek for worship in the Bible actually mean the same thing. They mean to bow down or to lay down one's face to the ground. It's an acknowledgement of God's glory. That's the idea. And there's, there's is someone who is transcendent and glorious and that is worthy of our full, full devotion, right? The word worship in English means to acknowledge and give worth to someone or something. So the biblical word describes the actual act of worship of that kneeling, of bowing, of lying on the ground and putting your face down, whereas the English translation describes the reason that we would do what the Bible says. Psalm 95, Psalm 95, 95.6 says, describes, it describes the act of biblical worship with two synonyms. Check this out, right? It says, verse 6, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people He watches over, the flock under his care. How amazing is that? The weather flock under his care. That's incredible. And that brings us to our first posture today. The first one is that worship is a response. Worship is a response. It's a response to what he's done for us. It's a response to what he's doing for us. And it's a response to what he will do for us. That's what it comes back to. Worship is a response. It's a reaction to something else. You see, it's not its own standalone thing. It's not just one thing that happens. It's actually a response to something else. Last week, we learned about covenantal confusion. And some of us are still stuck in the old way of thinking and that that season is now over. I'm praying you found some freedom in that message. But in the passage we just read about the woman at the well, Jesus is moving the woman from the old covenant style of thinking to the new covenant of thinking, right? This is what she asked. She said in verse 20, So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist, on, insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Jerusalem where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, that's the time we're in, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In the Old Covenant, praise and worship was a locational thing. You had to go somewhere to worship the king, right? But then Jesus came to shift this. Jesus came to shift it. Now we can be a direct connection with him. 
anywhere. We can worship him from anywhere. Isn't that such a profound blessing? Here's the thing, though. You can pretend to worship God, but he knows your heart. You might be able to confuse the people around you. They might think, oh, yeah, they're such a worshiper, but God knows your heart. And it's interesting because here's the secret in verse 23 and 24, right? True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. So those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. True worship requires us to worship in the spirit. But the best bit, and this is the best bit, right, is that the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe has the power to know exactly how many hairs you have on your head at any moment, right? That's him at any split second, and we can be in direct communication with him. Sometimes I think we forget how incredible that really is. Sometimes I think we take that for granted. But if you actually stop and think about it, how phenomenal is that? That he's a being that can be processing a million prayer requests in one second from every single person on the globe at the same time. That's amazing. It's amazing. And it's funny because originally I was going to say that when I first came to church and all I wanted was praise songs was that it was the wrong attitude because worship was so much deeper and it's not just surface level and it's like praise can sometimes feel like it's the fun thing to do and all of that. And that's what I was going to say. But then the Lord corrected me. He stopped me and he said, man, what you don't see is that praise is just the first step of worship. And I went, whoa, hold up. Let me look at that. Praise is the first step of worship. It's the start of worship. Worship actually starts with praise. That's where it all begins. It's part of the, it's part of the worship process. And that it's, it's not separate, right? It's all part of the same process. And that's why we start with a praise song every Sunday morning. Because a praise song is where we give thanks. It's about celebration and it's about thanking him for all that he's done for us. And especially if you're a, if you're a new worshiper, then this is so important, right? This is so important because it takes time for the Holy Spirit to thaw you out. Especially after the week that you've been through when you come into church, that's your moment. And that's what he's doing. He's thawing you out, ready to receive. For some of us, the first song at church is a bit like a drop of water on a really dry sponge. Who can relate to that? I know I've definitely felt that over the years. We soak it up so quickly, especially for new worshippers, but... I think it's important that we, you know, we start looking at it like the woman in the well. After the passage we read, it said that she got so excited that she ran into the town and told everyone. She told everyone about this, this amazing man. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to tell our friends about what Jesus is doing in our lives, both in church and out as well. Because I can guarantee that your unsaved friends will notice a difference in you, just like I did with my best friend. All that years ago, I kind of went, what is going on with him? This is really weird. This is different. This is different. But worship is a response, and let's start that with praise, with thankfulness, right? What's your response going to be? What is your response going to be? Let it be worship. Let it be worship. So why is worship then sometimes perceived as this weird thing that sounds dark and scary? Well, I think you've got to know that worship is a weapon. That's my second point, is that worship is a weapon. Here's the deal. There's actually a dark side to worship as well. The devil is actually a master of worship. The devil is a worshiper. Did you know that before he became the devil, he was actually God's personal worship leader? 
That, that was literally his job in heaven. The devil was a worshiper. He was the worship leader for all of heaven. And what happened, right? In heaven, his name was Lucifer, which actually means star of the morning. And then he decided that he wanted all the worship for himself. He got greedy. He got selfish. And that's what he wants. He wants your worship. That's absolutely what he's chasing because he's a worshiper. He wants your worship. He held a really high-ranking position with the angelic hosts. He had, the Bible says he had exquisite beauty and great wisdom. He was given this position of great power and influence. And then because he wanted all the worship to himself, he got kicked out of heaven and became Satan, which means accuser. And the amazing thing here is that he actually took one-third of the angels with him from heaven. Revelation said that's more than 10,000 times 10,000 angels. But if the devil's greatest trick was convincing mankind that he didn't exist, then I think his second greatest trick was probably getting in your head to flip things around and make you think they're bad when they're actually good. Because that's what he does. He'll paint this false picture. And I think to see that, we can just look at how he tempted Jesus in the wilderness right before he started his ministry, right? If we look at Matthew. Matthew 4 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And it's interesting that the Spirit led him there as well. I thought, man, sometimes the Spirit will lead us to a place that we don't want to go. Sometimes that's a thing that happens. But for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Isn't it interesting that Jesus could just rebuke him straight away? Isn't that amazing? But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot or a stone. On a stone, sorry. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it to you all, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. There it is. There it is. The devil wants your worship. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, Get out of here, Satan. Get out of here. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? If the devil wants your worship more than anything else, then the best thing you can do is give it to someone else. I really believe today that today God sent me to tell someone that you've been worshiping the wrong thing. Maybe it's porn, maybe it's an addiction, whatever it is, deep down, you know that it's not good for you. And it's a mask that the devil is using to trick you into worshipping him. The way God painted the picture to me is like, it's almost like a, a one-way glass mirror and the devil's sitting behind and you can't see him. You don't even know he's there. But he's the one orchestrating the movements in the room. Maybe that's you. Today's your day to fight fire with fire, right? Today's going to be your time to turn on him and use that weapon of worship against him. If you worship the true king, the true king, Jesus, you'll find freedom and you'll find a savior instead of an imposter. The devil has no power over you any longer. 
And I really believe that that's what God wants you to know today, whoever that's for. But what's more is you've got to defend yourself as well, right? We have to defend ourselves because the thing is the enemy, the only thing the enemy hates more than anything else is when you worship God because that's what he wants. That's what he is craving. That's what he wants. If you're going to do a backflip on him, then you've got to expect him to attack. No one ever said this Christian walk was easy, right? (laughs) But the good news is God's already put the weapon in your hand. You just got to know how to use it. And any good soldier knows how to use their weapon, right? Any good soldier knows how to use that. So my question for you this morning is, what does your training program look like for worship? What's your training program for worship? How are you practicing your worship through the week? How are you doing that? Don't just let your worship be a Sunday thing. How are you worshiping all week long? Otherwise, you're defenseless. Otherwise, you're defenseless. How are you going to know how to use your weapon of worship when you're in battle? When you're in a battle with him, you know, when you get, get a storm, when, it's, when you get to a storm on Tuesday, you know, when your kids are acting up, maybe you get that phone call about a sick family member, maybe you get made redundant from your job, maybe you're in a massive storm. How are you going to respond to that if you don't know how to use your weapon of worship? That's the time that he's going to get in your head the most. And he's going to try and lead you somewhere that you don't want to be. How are you going to react in that moment? My third point this morning, the third posture, is that worship is overflow. Worship is overflow. It's funny, during the cycle and I filled up our bathtub. I know probably a few people did, saving some water, making sure we got some water for our fizzler. But um, it was funny because I went, went into the office, into the study, and I was doing a couple of things. And then Jackie popped her head in and she was like, so how much water did you want in that bathtub? I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Thankfully, it didn't overflow yet, but I think it was about on the cusp of it. So, But the thing is, water overflows, doesn't it? Water can overflow. If she hadn't turned it off, it would have overflowed, right? And Jesus is the living water that lives within us. And he can overflow too. He can overflow too. And we want him to overflow. That's what we want. We want to be in a place of overflow. To be at a thousand worshippers first, for culture to set in, it starts with us, you and I, and our overflow. Because that's, that's, what's, that's what's infectious, is the overflow. But the tension here is, well, what about if I don't feel anything in worship? Well, what, what about if I'm someone who doesn't feel anything? They're just songs, they're just music, right? I know I've had a few people over the years come to me and say, I, just, I don't feel anything anymore. I've even have friends actually give up their faith entirely because of this. And, and here's the deal. Here's what I think about it anyway, is that worship isn't about us. That's the first thing to come back to. It's like, man, worship isn't actually about how we feel. Like, yeah, it's great to feel the tingles. It's great to feel the chills from God and feel him physically moving in the room. That's incredible. But it actually isn't about that. That's kind of like the add-on. It's about who he is and it's about treating the king with respect in worship. That's, that's where it starts. And when I kind of unpack this with people deeper and I go deeper and deeper, generally I find that there have been just Sunday worshippers in that season. They're not living in a place of overflow. If you ever get to this place, the best advice I can give you, you may be there today, is remind yourself where it began. Remind yourself where it all began. And if you lose your way, come back to the first thing that led you to Jesus to reorientate you. That's the best thing you can do. Over my time of being a Christian, when I've been stuck, I found it's really helpful to come back to that place of praise and thankfulness for me. Praise and thankfulness and worship, because that's where I first found him. 
And nothing leads me back to that place of overflow like that. And then, only then do I really find myself being in a place where I'm ready to worship and where he's really moving. But Sunday worship is so special to me too, right? Like, it's not just singing a song or two up here. It's, there's so much more depth than that. It's, it's like developing a form of spiritual eyesight that gets clearer and clearer over time. Does that kind of make sense? It's like going to a spiritual place almost where, where you can be with our king, where we can spend intentional time there with him, like another realm almost. As, as worship leaders and band, we, we get the privilege and the honor of taking you there to that place. And I love that. It's the place where we found God and where we find him. It's a bit like, it's a bit like driving a tour bus, right, up in the mountains and we're, we're kind of like the tour guides. Does that kind of make sense? We can't take you somewhere we haven't been before, so... That's where we love worshipping on a Wednesday night. And we get to get excited to show you the new places we found with God. And we love to take you there so that you can go there yourself later. But, and look, come on a metaphor journey with me here, right? The most important thing to understand about this is that if we're on a tour bus, it's powered by pedal power. Okay? It's powered by pedal power. And it takes each of us to pedal in order to get there. Every single one of us in the room, it takes us to pedal to get to where we need to go. And if you're not pedaling on a Sunday morning, then that's not going to get anywhere as far because you're on the bus too. And if so, you're really not pulling your weight. Does that make sense? Man, some of us are heavier than others, spiritually, man. We all bring our weight with us, don't we? We've all got burdens that we're dealing with, and that's okay. That's awesome. That's what we're here for. But as long as you're pedaling too, as long as you're starting to push, as long as you're pedaling in some way so you can get to God quicker, only then can we deal with these burdens together. That's what it's about. And man, could you imagine what our church would be like if we were all pedaling towards God in this? If we were pedaling towards Him in worship? If we were overflowing all week in that position? Wouldn't it be incredible? Could you imagine the move that we would create by doing this, by just seeking him all week long? Would you stand with me this morning, church? Every week we'd like to give the opportunity for anyone who might not have had the opportunity to, to come to him yet, to come to him. I'd love to give you that opportunity this morning. And if you're online, then you can do this as well. But all we're going to do is say a prayer together. Maybe you're someone who hasn't had the chance to step out and go, you know what, I want to make this opportunity to follow God. I, I want to move forward on this. This is a decision that I want to make. I want to start on this journey. And if that's you, then in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and just say, that's me. That's me. Because it's only then that you can really join us on this awesome, awesome adventure together. I'm going to pray for three kinds of people today. Would you close your eyes for me at the moment? I'm going to pray for three kinds of people. The first is those who've never known Jesus. The second is those who knew Jesus and went away. Maybe you had something happen through your life where you kind of lost track of Jesus. Maybe you left the church or maybe you left town or something happened that pulled you away from him. And it's time to come back. The third type of people I want to pray for this morning is those who don't know they're going to heaven. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time now, but you've kind of just decided, man, I just don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know if that's me. If that's you, then I want to pray for you as well. So in a moment, if you're one of these three kinds of people, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. 
and make a decision to invite Jesus into your life this morning. And I'll see it, I'll acknowledge it, and you can put it down again. That's all it is. And there's nothing magical about this moment. There's nothing crazy about it, but it's significant. It's the best decision that you'll ever make. And it's really you just declaring to God, you know what, I want to make this decision to follow you. I want to follow your steps. I want you to lead my life. I'm tired of living life my own way. I want you to take over. I want you to drive the car for me. That's what it's about. So if that's you, if you're one of those three kinds of people, would you raise your hand this morning? Would you stick your hand straight up in the air? If that's you, if you're someone who's never known Jesus and you want to make a shift to say, today, I'm deciding to follow him. If you're someone who knew him for a time, man, you might even be someone who's been coming to church every single week, but internally you've gone, you know what, I haven't been following him. I need to recommit myself and just decide, you know what, I'm going to get on this journey. I'm going to make my worship a weapon. I'm going to do this. Or maybe you're someone that you just don't know you're going to heaven. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Throw it up in the air. If you're online, you can raise it as well. We've got chat hosts who are ready online to chat with you. And we want to help you on this journey. It's good. It's good. We're going to pray this morning together. And this is how the prayer goes. Would you say it with me? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. I believe He died and rose again to forgive my sin and give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. Make me new. I'll follow you. So good. Can we have a huge round of applause for anyone that may have just prayed that for the first time, whether you're in the room or online? If that was you, then we really want to hear about it. Please come and tell us. We have some resources. We have a new Christian pack that we want to give you. Um, We would love to help you on this journey. Hey, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing from our channel. And share with a friend because you never know who you're going to bless. You can also catch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30am Australian Western Standard Time. We'd love to see you there.